How many of you would agree that parenting has always been difficult? Raise your hands right now. Raise them up, raise them up, raise them up. Don't point at your own child, but raise them up in the air. <laughs> Online, you can type in the comment section, parenting has always been difficult. Let me ask you another question. How many of you would agree that parenting today may be more difficult than it ever has been? If you agree, raise two hands to surrender. I need help, God. You can type it in the comment section. Parenting is very, very difficult today. Um, we have six children, and we raised our kids kind of back in the good old days. Literally a couple of decades ago, when our kids were little, I think it was easier to raise kids back then. We home educated our kids, and so they were uh, pretty sheltered. The biggest controversy we had two decades ago when our kids were little, maybe six and four, my two oldest daughters, they, my oldest daughter came running in the room and said, sissy said a bad word. She was tattling on her sister for saying a bad word. I said, what did your sister say? And she said, I'm not gonna tell you what the bad word was. It's too bad, you can't make me say it. So just tell me, what did the bad word, what letter did it start with? She said, sissy said BS. So wow, four years old, like where'd she learn that? And then I thought, I better go ahead and make sure that BS means what I think it means. And so I said, why don't you go ahead and just tell me what bad word is the BS word? She said, I'll never say it out loud. I said, just whisper to my ear, you won't get in trouble, I promise. And so my oldest daughter whispered and said, she said, Britney Spears. <laughs> True story. Like I said, we parented back in the good old days when things were much simpler than they are today. Uh, we do have six grown children, four of them are married, and by the grace of God to the glory of God, all six of them and their spouses are serving Jesus faithfully in his church, worshiping God and living for Jesus. Um, in fact, every year we do what I call a legacy trip. We bring them all, including the grandkids now, on a trip. This was our uh, trip a week ago. It was amazing. It was perfect in every way. We had spiritual time, devotional time. We had worship time. It was all centered around Jesus. It was perfect because we are the perfect Christian family. <laughs> Except we're not. It was pretty amazing, and I actually was feeling rather proud of our parenting until I realized that all week long there were silos behind the scenes and there was kind of guerrilla warfare going between these two and these three and these two and on the last night a fight broke out that was so horrible. There were tears and there were crying. There's crying and on and on and on and on and on and I went from thinking we're a pretty good Christian family to wondering if any of us are really saved at all. Parenting's always been difficult. And I would argue that perhaps it's more difficult to be a child or a teenager today, and it's more difficult to parent today with the mental health issues that are impacting our children at an alarming rate. Uh, we've got nine-year-olds and 11-year-olds that are overwhelmed with anxiety and battling depression and victims of bullying, and we've got them facing all sorts of issues years and years earlier today. At a ridiculously young age, we give our children one of these devices, their own little cell phone, access to everything that they've never wanted to see, 
and say, here you go, you're nine years old, take this and have fun. Essentially, we are giving them porn in their pocket, right? We are hurling them into the world of TikTok and Snapchat where they can learn all about gender confusion and sexual perversion and ungodly influences on and on. And even away from those things, they have unlimited access to so much information that it stresses them almost beyond recovery. While I was a kid, I watched a documentary on killer bees, just a documentary on killer bees. Like I've never seen a killer bee, but I was afraid to go outside. I didn't have the emotional intelligence to decipher that they weren't in my backyard. And now we've got little kids that watch the horror of the war in the Middle East in real time on social media. And because as Christ-centered parents, we want our children to know God and to love him, we're starting a message series today. I'm calling it Parenting on Purpose. And the title of today's message is How to Help Your Children Love God. So Father, we pray and we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word to empower us, not just as parents, but as a church to disciple and nurture our children toward you. Draw us close to you first and God help us to show your love and share your love with all those around us. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. amen. Um, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna start and I'm gonna read to you what's known as the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy 6. We're gonna look at it this week. We're gonna look at it in more detail next week. Um, the Shema is considered the most recited, most essential prayer in Judaism uh, that was traditionally play, prayed in the Old Testament by a Jewish person with their hands over their eyes. They pray it in the morning and in the evening. And it goes like this from Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are on to be on your hearts. Now, how do we disciple our children? Well, we are to impress these truths on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, as parents, if we're going to parent on purpose, I would suggest to you that we won't be just what culture calls a Christian parent, because many people today would call themselves Christians. Just because you call yourself a Christian today doesn't mean that you're truly following Jesus. I wouldn't just put an adjective on it and say, I'm just a Christian parent, because obviously, you know, I was born in the United States, I'm not a Muslim and I'm not a Hinduist. I'm, you know, so I guess I'm kind of a Christian parent. What I would say, instead of being just a Christian parent, I want us to think of ourselves as Christ-centered families. Christ-centered in our parenting. You say, what's the difference? Uh, there's a lot of people that I would call like casual Christians or kind of like cultural Christians. You know, if things get bad, we might say a prayer. We might say a prayer over Thanksgiving. Um, we'll go to church on Christmas and Easter and maybe if there's a family fall fest, free candy, we might be there then. You know, and so we're, you know, we're kind of a Christian family. There's a difference though if you're christ Centered. 
Um, when you're Christ-centered, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, this is your highest calling. And it's incredibly important, indescribably important, because as parents, especially in the early years of raising our kids, no one has greater influence on your children in the early years than you do. So what we want is we want God's truth on our hearts. And then we want to impress those spiritual truths on our children. How do we do it? Just kind of like the text said, we're gonna talk about these things over breakfast. And we're gonna talk about them on the drive to school. And we're gonna talk about them at the dinner table. And we're gonna talk about them before we go to bed. When we are a Christ-centered family, God is not a part of our lives. He's not an add-on to our lives. He's not an optional feature or someone that we call whenever we're in trouble. God is our life, and that's a big difference than being a cultural Christian. So what's gone wrong? I mean, you look at teenagers all over, and they're hurting. They're afraid. They're desperate. They're depressed. They're suicidal. They're cutting. They're, they're confused about who they are. What are we doing wrong? Well, probably a lot of things. We're gonna keep it simple this week and then add on to it next week. But I'm gonna show you three things that I think we're doing wrong and then a couple of things I think we can do better. What are we doing wrong? A few things. Number one is we risk too little. Number two, we rescue too quickly. And number three, we model too weakly. Let's break these down one by one. Number one, we risk too little. I think you would probably agree that for many families today, risk adversity and pain avoidance would be top values in parenting. We, we don't want our children to hurt. We don't want them to have a difficult time. So we're gonna keep them as safe as possible. Now, I want you to hear my heart when I tell you, I do not wanna sound like the guy who says, we walked uphill barefoot in the snow both ways. But the truth of the matter is, we did. We did, I mean, like, I'm kinda not joking. Uh, when I was a kid, and some of you are my age, you remember on Saturday, what would your parents do? They would kick you out of the house early, and they would say, come home when it's dark. That was it. How'd you eat? I don't know, you had to find somewhere to eat, something, anything. When you were thirsty, what did you do to get a drink? Some of you remember, you would go to your neighbor's water hose and you just get something to drink. Like, you didn't, some people wouldn't even be allowed to do that. You're saying, you're gonna die, you gotta have bottled water. We thought bottled water was a hoax. I'm still not sure why we pay for it. Just get a hose, right? That's how we were raised. Just be home by dark. There were rules like, don't die. Don't kill anybody. Those were kind of the rules. And it's not that our parents didn't love us. They really did, but their top values weren't risk avoidance and, and pain avoidance. They would let us like literally walk to school by yourself. That's crazy. That you, you would take a whole sixth grade baseball team, all of them, put them in the back of Bubba's pickup truck and drive down the highway at 75 miles an hour. No one thought anything of it. That's just what we did. There were no seatbelts at the time. And I'm not telling you this is good. I'm just telling you the way it was. 
There were no seatbelts. You'd sit in the front seat with your mom. You didn't wear a seatbelt. She didn't wear a seatbelt because you didn't need a seatbelt. Why? Because your mama was your seatbelt. If she, if she had to stop real fast, mama would boom! And you weren't going nowhere because no seatbelt loved you like mama loves you. You wear seatbelts. And that's how they came up with the, uh, the airbag is a kid was actually riding with his grandma. And you know how after a while, these things like... Come on, work with me. It's family fun weekend. And, and I'm not telling you for a minute we should go back to that, but what I will tell you is that we need to let our kids actually grow up. You make them wear seat belts, make them wear helmets, but they probably don't need a helmet and knee pads to walk down the driveway to check the mail. Be careful, don't kill anybody, just check the mail. Uh, the challenge is this, in our effort to protect them from pain, we've robbed them from confidence. Like you've got 20 year olds today that don't really want to drive because it seems too risky. Or 22 year olds that struggle to fill out a job application form because they literally don't have the confidence to do it. Um, I've got a friend in business that said, it's not uncommon for parents to show up to interviews when a 20-something-year-old is trying to interview because mom and dad need to be there with them. See, not only have we robbed them from believing in themselves, but by taking away all risk, we've robbed them from putting their faith in God. And Hebrews eleven six tells us that it is impossible to please God. Without faith, you cannot please God. We, we risk too little. Secondly, and I know I've been guilty of this, we rescue too quickly, right? Little Emma forgets to do her science project. And so mom stays up till two in the morning doing the project and then celebrates big when they win at the state fair, right? <laughs> A little Aiden forgets his jacket at school. He's all cold. So dad leaves work, goes home, gets his jacket and takes it to little Aiden. You know what our, our dads would do, right? You forgot your jacket, walk home in the cold. You're not gonna forget your jacket the next time. We actually had, I hate to tell you this, we had a staff member that's 29 years old that had a problem being late to work all the time, so we actually wrote him up. And his mom called the office to explain why he had a hard time getting to work on time. True story, he didn't work here anymore, neither does his mom, just so you'll know, okay? <laughs> but, but what I want you to understand is that consequences make for a great teacher. If we rob them from consequences, we're robbing them from great lessons. Scripture says this in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. When we rob our children of God's natural consequences, it's no wonder that they don't fear God. If you take away all the consequences, it's no wonder. You reap what you sow. I like in the, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, you know the story, Jesus told it. There was a son who said, hey, forget you, dad. I want my stuff now. And what did the son do? He went out and he partied hard and his life fell apart. He fell into sin. He was totally broken. 
And what did the loving father do? Do you remember? The loving father welcomed him back with all the love and grace possible, but the father never rescued his son. There's a big difference. Sometimes I think we get it wrong. We, we risk too little, we rescue too quickly, and we model too weakly. We model too weakly. And I just wanna say to the parents here, if we are not serious about our faith in Jesus, if we're not modeling a sincere pursuit of living our lives for the glory of Jesus, how can we ever expect our children to do that? If the truth isn't in our heart, how can we impress that truth on our children? Because remember, when it comes to parenting, again, especially in the early years, more is caught than is taught. They're watching what we do. In fact, I would remind you that your children don't just become what you say, they become what they see. They don't just become what you tell them, but they become so often what they see you doing. And that's why as parents, one of the fastest ways to drive our children away from God is honestly just to say one thing and do something else, is to be a hypocrite. The moment we proclaim faith in Jesus and say, we're a Christian family, and we don't pray, and we don't tithe, and we don't forgive, and we don't serve anywhere in our church, and we don't serve, and our life is all about us. We say one thing, we do something else. It's no wonder our kids run from God. The fastest way to drive them away is to be hypocritical. In fact, it was Jesus who said this in Mark chapter seven, verse six. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Don't, don't, don't be a hypocrite. As it's written, these people, they honor me with what? They honor me with their, their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, we'll never be perfect, but if we consistently claim one thing and consistently live something else, our children will run from the things of God. We risk too little, and we rescue too quickly, and we model too weakly. So what can we do better to help our children love God? I'll give you a couple things today, and we'll look at uh, more in depth next week. I'm gonna start with what sociologists call the law of exposure. And you know what that is, the more you're around something, the more you become like it. In parenting, I would describe it this way, the law of exposure. Who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become and what they believe. Let me say this again, because this is really, really important. Who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become and what they believe. Next week, we'll talk about the who. This week, I wanna talk a little bit about the what. If we consistently allow our children to be exposed to whatever it is, bad attitudes, or over-sexualized images, or hardcore materialism, or perverted thinking, or prejudices, or ungodly values, if we continually let them be exposed to those things or people who believe those things, it's no question why they would drift from God. You guys are being quiet. Stick with me. If we're going to parent on purpose, what do we know? What can we do? This is so important. 
We can't force our children to love God, but we can expose them to the people and experiences that increase the likelihood of spiritual growth. That's good preaching. You won't say it, but I will. I'm gonna say it again. I want you to let this sink in. We can't force them. We can't control them. We can't make them do anything at all. We can never make them love God. But we can be selective in the environments we place them in. We can expose them to the right people and the spiritual experiences that increase the likelihood of them growing in their faith in Jesus. So what experiences do we wanna expose our children to? Two today, more next week. Number one, we wanna expose our children to the joy of knowing God personally. We want them to see us know God and worship God and need God and be convicted by God and be changed by God and experience his power and experience his purpose and experience his, his peace in our lives. We want them to see it so they'll also want it. We wanna expose them to the joy of being transformed by an intimate relationship with God. In fact, this is how Jesus described eternal life. It wasn't behavior, it was relationship. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. So how do we do that? How do we expose them to this? I, I was years ago, my kids were actually on a panel and uh, Mandy, who's my second daughter, um, who's married to James, who's on staff here, and. Um, has one child and one on the way. Mandy was 17 at the time, and they asked her, what did your parents do? What do you need to do to really know God in a personal way? This is what Mandy said when she was 17. This was a photo from that time. She said, you should create an environment where your kids wanna have discussions about God so it's not something they feel they have to do, but something they want to do. I thought that was really, really powerful. You wanna create an environment where they actually want to talk about the things of God. It's not like my parents are forcing me to do this, but it's just a natural part of what we do in a Christ-centered home. So what we wanna do as a Christ-centered family is we wanna make talk about God and Jesus and faith and serving and being Christ-like. We wanna make that the most normal and most common subject in our home. It's just like, it's what we talk about. And so Amy and I intentionally tried to do this when our kids were young. And it was like ridiculously small things. Stephen, we'd go out and get pizza. And Amy would say, can you believe how the Lord has blessed us? We get pepperoni and we get extra cheese. And so they so literally tie the blessings of God to just a family night out. A kid may get an A on a grade, and instead of saying, great job, we say, oh my gosh, you honored God in the way that you studied. And you just connect the natural part of God. Uh, they lose the big game, and they're devastated. Oh, I'm so sad. But you know what? You were a great witness out there. I mean, you shook hands, and you played your best, and you really honored God by bringing your best. You take any type of normal activity, and you create an environment where it's just natural to talk about God. And you know why this is so important? Because one day they may have some questions about God. And because you're already talking about God, they're gonna to come to you. You want to be so comfortable talking about it that when they do have a doubt, and they will, the safest place they can come to you to process their doubts because 
We just talk about the things of God in our homes. What do we know about a relationship? If we wanna expose them to the joy of knowing God, you know that you can't have a relationship with God if you don't talk to God and hear from God. So as parents, we want to model that we're people of prayer. We talk to God and we listen to God and we seek God in his word. Um, again, by the grace of God, all six of my children, all my kid-in-laws, all seek God daily in the word. And years ago, someone asked one of my sons, well, how'd your parents get you to do that? And they said, did, you bri did they bribe you? Did they threaten you? Did they force you? Is it because you're pastor's kids? And my son said, oh, no, 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 no. Mom and dad never told us to read the Bible. And the guy was really confused. What, they never told you to? They said, no, uh, Katie just watched mom and dad do it. And so she started doing it. And then Mandy saw mom and dad and Katie doing it. So she started doing it. Then Anna saw mom and dad reading the Bible and Katie reading the Bible and Mandy. So Anna started doing it. And so Sam said, well, everybody in the family just did it. So I thought I would do it. No one told them to. It was just a part of the family culture. And what'll happen is when they start talking to God and then God is a normal part of your family conversation and we, we live with a God awareness, then one day they're gonna come in and say, let me tell you what God showed me today. Or let me tell you what God spoke to me today. And you know you're on the right track because at this point, they don't have what I call a secondhand faith. They're not going to church because you go to church. They have a firsthand faith because you're doing what number one said. You're doing the right thing so that your child will experience the joy of knowing God personally. The second thing you can expose them to is you can expose them to, and you're doing this right now, and you can do even more of it. You can expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. You can expose him to what God is doing through his people in the body of Christ. In fact, Psalm 92 verse 13 says, those who are what? Let's say this aloud. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of the Lord. Those who are planted. If you're just a casual, cultural Christian family, you'll go to church every now and then, whenever it fits into your schedule. But if you are a Christ-centered family, you will be planted in the house of the Lord, and those who are planted will flourish in the courts of the Lord. In fact, let me just kind of, I've been kind of nice now. I'm gonna get up into business just a little bit. I'm, those of you online, I'm getting up into your business just a little bit. What isn't optional in your family? What's not optional? Uh, for most of you, going to school is not optional. Get out of bed, kids, you're going to school. Homework's not optional. Going to the dentist, for most of you, is not optional. If it is, it shouldn't be. Make them go to the dentist, okay? Um, whatever activities are they in? They're in dance, we paid for dance, you're going to soccer practice, football practice, violent, whatever it is. Activities generally are not optional. What happens when the weekend comes around? Someone almost always asks, do y'all wanna go to church this weekend? Everything else during the week that's important is not up for discussion. And the very thing that should be at the heart of our faith and expression of love for God 
is debatable week after week. And I'll tell you right now, and not to brag and not to, not because I'm a pastor's family, it, no one ever asked in our family, we're gonna go to church. And it's not because we're a pastor's family, it's because we're followers of Jesus. We did this on vacation. I'm telling you, we, we went for 23 some odd years to the same place, Steamboat Springs, and we just went to church because that's what we did. In fact, I told you this, but I'm gonna go ahead and show you. Stephen and Ashler are here. They got married a couple weeks ago. This is him kissing her. I had to call him off. He tried to kiss her three times before we got to this part. And then on the first morning of their honeymoon, they went to the place we always go, and Stephen texted me, what church we go to? First morning. Who does that on their honeymoon? Someone who is Christ-centered and wants to be Christ-centered in it. So I told him, here's where they go. And then they sent us a picture of the church they went to on the very first morning of their honeymoon. Why? Because the church isn't something their parents do. They are Christ-centered in their relationship. And that's what we do. We go to church. And you wonder, like, how can that happen? The moment your kids start serving, the church becomes their own. When they're helping mom drive the golf cart or when they're serving with dad and life kids or they're, they're with their switch leader cutting up donuts and they start serving, then it's no longer your church, then it becomes their church. And then let me warn you what happens is you're gonna wanna go on vacation and they're not gonna wanna miss church. That's when it gets annoying and that's what they've done for me. We can't miss switch. Yes, you can. We're going to the beach. Shut up, kid. We're not gonna be spiritual this Wednesday, okay? But let me just say this right now. If you often prioritize something over church, we're not going to church this weekend because we're going to the big game. We're not going to church this weekend because we're going to the lake. We're not going to church this weekend because we're going to sleep in. We had a busy week. We're not going to church this weekend because the weather's too bad. We're not going to church this weekend because the weather's too good. Right? If you often prioritize something over church and never prioritize church over something else, you are clearly demonstrating what you value to your family. So what if we wake up and realize we're more of a cultural Christian family than we're Christ-centered? The answer is we just start becoming Christ-centered right now. Jesus, I want you to be first. We start in our own heart. We, we call on him in our own heart. We seek him in his word. We, we, we seek him daily, we pray, and then we, we might even apologize to our kids and say, like, I got it wrong. I told you about the big family fight on our vacation. It was, it was such a deal that I called everybody in for a family meeting. The, I mean, we're talking, they're all grown. What am I gonna do? They're 28 years old, I'm gonna take your phone away, okay? They're, they're grown. <laughs> they're all grown. And I called them in for a family meeting and I talked about who we are as disciples of Jesus and what I want this to be. I want this to be a place where your children come and see a big family legacy that's Christ-centered. And then I did my little deal and I don't know if they cared or not, went to bed and we came home the next day. And two or three days later, I started hearing the stories that so-and-so went and apologized to so-and-so and asked for forgiveness. And they prayed and they forgave each other. And this couple went to this couple and said, we were wrong and we want to be better. And I heard the stories of how Christ-centered people work through conflict. And I went from feeling like a good dad because they were good to a bad dad when they were bad, back to a humble dad that knows 
I can't do any of this without the help of a God who loves them even more than I love them and is working even when I can't see them. So what do you do? You gradually transfer dependence off of you onto God. They need you when they're a baby and you start to say, no, you don't need me, but you need God. You expose them to the joy of knowing him personally and you expose him to the family of God who can support them forever because we can't force our children to love God, but we can expose them to the people and experiences that increase the likelihood that they would know and serve him. So God, do a work in our families today. As you're praying, nobody looking around, those of you who say, I wanna be Christ-centered in all I do, would you lift your hands right now? I wanna be Christ-centered, I hope this is everybody, I hope this is everybody. Jesus, we wanna seek you first. Seek your kingdom first. Seek your heart first. And as you say in Matthew 6, 33, as we seek you first, and all your righteousness, you would add everything unto us. Help us to be Christ-centered in all that we do. As you keep praying today, I wanna to talk directly to some of you. Growing up, my family, we were cultural Christians. We called ourselves Christians, but we weren't Christ-centered. This is some of you. Others of you, you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, but you find yourself in this really unusual place. You're being drawn to God right now. What is that? That's God drawing you to Him. His Holy Spirit is working in you because He wants you to know Him personally. What is eternal life? It's not being good enough. It's not being perfect. It's knowing God. How do we know Him? God loved us. He's a relational God so much that He sent Jesus who was without sin. Jesus died on a cross and God raised him from the dead so that our sins could be forgiven. And now, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, when you call on him, Jesus, he'll hear your prayer and he'll forgive your sins. Some of you, you're a cultural Christian and today, you're gonna become Christ-centered. Others of you, you may feel far from God in one moment as you call out to him, he'll hear your prayer, forgive your sins, he'll make you brand new, and you can immediately be in a relationship with him wherever you're watching from. Those who say, I need him, I want him today. I give my life to him, forgive my sins. I need him, I want a relationship with you, Jesus, today. I give my life to you, that's your prayer. Lift your hands high right now, all over the place, and say, yes, that's my prayer. Uh, praise God for you. Others today who say yes, God bless you. Jesus, I call on you to be the savior and the Lord of my life, lift your hands and say, I surrender to you. Those of you online, just type in the comment section, I am giving my life to Jesus today. I'm surrendering my life to him. Would you pray aloud wherever you are, Heavenly Father? I wanna be Christ-centered. Jesus, be first. My Savior, the Lord of my life, forgive all of my sins. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you and serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. You have all of mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people celebrate, say amen, amen. Welcome those born into God's family.